0: Welcome back to the Everything is Lessons podcast, an inventory of wisdom. I'm your host, Ryan Curlbaum. Thank you so much for joining us this week for a special episode with architect Marlon Blackwell. Marlon is one of the most accomplished and successful architects that I know. His work has received almost every award and recognition imaginable. His architecture is elegant and timeless and rooted in place. However, for me, what makes Marlon special is his profound wisdom and perspective. Our relationship began as a cold call 14 years ago, only to evolve into a mentorship and now a friendship. Beyond his immense talent, Marlon is kind, generous, and thoughtful, and those may be his greatest gifts. During our conversation today, you're gonna hear a lesson about commitment and dedication about persistence and belief and trust me when I say this you will need a pen and paper for this episode Marlon is perhaps one of the most quotable people that I know and when he gets going (laughs) it is so good Um, so without without further delay here is Marlon Blackwell and his lesson whatever it takes here we go Marlon Blackwell, welcome to the Everything Is Lessons podcast. Yeah, great to be here. Right. Good morning, Brian. Uh, Marlon, we, you know, I always like to start these things uh, by thinking about when we met, and you and I have known each other uh, for 14 years now. <laughs> wow, which is that's just really amazing. Flies. It's really yeah, amazing. That's incredible. Uh, I was remembering when um, we first when we first spoke, and it, I was just leaving uh, Peter Boland's office in Pennsylvania. You may remember this. And my buddy, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Mark Bacon, told me, you should reach out to Marlon for some advice because it was right during the recession in, in 2009. And I uh, I remember I cold called you and um, <laughs> I said something like really embarrassing, like, hey, I, I just wanna teach and practice like you do. Can you help me out? And uh, you are a super busy person and you, you actually called me back. And um, I always wondered why, what, what made you do that? Cause I, I, imagine that there, there had to be tons and tons of people who reached out to you for advice like that, but, but you, you did call me back. I always wondered. I always wondered uh, why. Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, well, I, I always appreciate initiative, you know, uh, mm. I think, uh, I like to say pretense precedes profession. In a sense, you have to have a little pretense, a little initiative and, uh, I know the people we like to bring on in the firm that you know they they typically reach out to us and express the interest mm. and so i like to return the favor to me in many ways if you're interested i'm interested you know as a uh to put my way through school i was a uh, we didn't i didn't come for uh a lot of a lot of resources a family with resources so i had to work my way through school uh, so i was a bible salesman in the rural south for five summers uh, mm. for a company and uh, I did a lot of cold calling, <laughs> and uh, so I part of it's that too. You know, I, I, you know, people would invite me to their homes or sit out on the porch, and we'd strike up a conversation, and you know, you find out a little bit about yourself, and you know, uh, I, I think they appreciate it too. Somebody out there taking initiative to try to, uh, to work their way through to pull themselves up a bit. So uh, I've always appreciated that, uh, and uh, was was taught by my father in particular, no one's better than anybody. So mm-hmm. uh, I just like, doesn't matter who it is, I'll 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 try to uh, respond in the best way I can and be helpful if I can. That's yeah. not always the case, but uh, that's that's what motivates me. It's just uh, I can, a deep sense of wanting to help people uh, in those kinds of uh, transitional moments because we've all been there. And sometimes yeah. a, a good
0: word or two can push us one way or the other. Absolutely. And I, I remember, um, that that conversation was a a really pivotal moment in my life. So, um, I was, I was really struggling through that recession period, uh, fairly new to the profession. And, uh, you were a a really welcomed and refreshing voice at that time. So I can't thank you enough for calling me back. Um, anyway, here we are 14 years later. Uh, you know, Marlon, I like to write these things for people who may not know you, but most people do. Um, and I I just wrote this to to start us off to introduce people uh, to you. I said that um, Marlon is one of the most accomplished and successful architects you will ever meet. His firm's work has received almost every award and recognition imaginable. His architecture is timeless and elegant and rooted in place. However, for me, what makes Marlon special is his profound wisdom and perspective. Our relationship began 14 years ago as a mentorship and I like to think it has evolved into an enduring friendship. Beyond his immense talent, Marlon is kind, generous, and thoughtful, and those may be his greatest gifts. And I wanted to say that Marlon, um, to kind of set up the conversation, and uh, and and lead into our, our first question um, about how you ended up in Northwest Arkansas. Okay, well, first of all,
1: that was very kind and uh, appreciate that maybe maybe a little much, but uh, very kind. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I Northwest Arkansas was never something on my trajectory, at least as far as I thought I'd gotten back from a, a year in Italy studying at the Syracuse and Florence program to get my MR2 at the time after working 10 years in the profession in Louisiana, Lafayette, Louisiana, and Boston. And I, I really, my desire was to, uh, Really become a liaison between the academy and the profession to teach and practice. Try to figure out how to do that. It was the, at that time, the recession in the early '90s, and so there wasn't a lot of work in the firms. And, uh, I was fortunate enough uh, to get a, a, a one-year teaching position at Syracuse, uh, and and I was I, you know, had started a, a bit of building and a little bit of recognition for a few projects. Uh, so I felt like I had some momentum, uh, after a winter in Syracuse <laughs> you know, from the <laughs> South, I, even I'd lived in Boston five years and never, my blood never thickened, so to speak. So, uh, I decided to go back South and I thought I'd be going to North Carolina where I had some contacts and such, but that didn't work out. And then an opportunity at, uh, Arkansas came and I went and they were, you know, had a new Dean and were getting a new department head and, uh, you know, I took for a drive around in the Ozarks while I was there. And I just sort of really fell in love with the landscape and the spirit of change that was going on at the school. Mm. And I'd heard of Faye Jones. Uh, who's a, I think, renowned uh, architect, uh prodigy of Wright, who had done the, the famous Thorn Crown Chapel. And he, you know, had proven that, you know, you didn't always have to go to the world. You could bring the world to you mm. uh, in a small firm with a, you know, a really a, a national and even international impact, and I thought that was a real model possibility. So, in my interviewing there, uh, they really wanted me, and of course, I was suspicious because it was like everything was happening very quickly. I was supposed—I thought it was supposed to be a courtship, but they were like <laughs> the next day is like, "Here's an offer. What what would it take to get you here?" And, and uh, sort of demurred, but I said, "Well, look, I'm not an academic. I'm not a a, a scholar." in the traditional sense. Uh, I'm just, I'm a practitioner. So what I'd really like to do is teach and practice and practice what I preach. Uh, and the Dean, uh, Dan Bennett said, if you'll come here to the university of Arkansas, I will guarantee you commissions to start your practice.
0: Wow. And
1: I was like, wow. So I went back to the Dean at Syracuse, Sabby and told him that, and he immediately recommended that I go. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so the, the rest is history. And, and, the Dean Bennett was true to his word, although I heard later that he didn't know how he was going to do that at the time. But uh, he was able to funnel uh, a lot of inquiries and so forth that were coming through the school and the university towards my way, and
0: it took on a life of its own. Hmm. So that's that's how I got there, anyway. And that and that's and that's where you are today. Um, yeah. Well, great. Well, great. This um, so Maron. This is a podcast where we we talk a lot about uh, wisdom, and we talk a lot about. Um, just bringing people on to to really have a conversation about uh, a kind of a profound lesson in their life. And I, I like to put these brackets that it has to be three words, because three words uh, are often the most memorable, like just do it or any other ad campaign you could think of. Uh, yeah. But um, I, I did like to kind of put the brackets around it. I know that <laughs> I pressed you a little bit to get it down to three words. Um, but I wondered if you could share Uh, what your lesson is and how you came to learn it. Sure. Uh,
1: Well, I think there are probably lots of them out there, but when you put it to me, I kept thinking about it, and I said, well, it really boils down to whatever it takes. Uh, Sort of, I've kind of operated on for many, many years, uh, and that sort of uh, stickiness, you know, persistence, hopefully pleasant persistence Hmm. uh, and tenacity to pursue something in a very dogged way uh, to stick with it, to not give up and to keep one's eyes on the prize, so to speak, uh, whatever you're pursuing. Because, uh, uh, you know, the the pursuit is never really finished, especially in the creative world. Um, mm-hmm. So you do have to stick with it. And it's it's really not good to leave things to chance, especially in architecture, because uh, Murphy's Law often kicks in. So you you do what you can to to stick with it and uh and to you know do whatever it takes. Uh, I I learned that I don't know that I got that from any particular person. I think it was just life in general. Uh I know my my father always used to rage on about doing things half-assed. Don't don't do them half ass, which is his way of saying, you know, it's whatever it takes to get it right. You mm-hmm. know, and mm-hmm. and and that's a hard lesson. There are many times in in when I was growing up, I wanted to, I was in a sport or something. I wanted to just quit because I wasn't very good, you know, or didn't feel motivated. He said, no, you can't quit. You, you're not a quitter. Never quit. I hmm. uh, stick it out. You go all the way to the end. Uh, and because, you know, you you see, you signed up for something, it's your bond, it's your word, and you're only as good as your word. Uh, so those sorts of things sort kind of stuck with me, and as I referenced earlier, the doing the Bible selling (laughs) was a a pretty amazing experience for five summers, working six days a week, 12 hours a day during your summer when everybody else is either at the beach or working at the Tom McCann Shoes or something, Uh, or in my case, sometimes in in an architecture office. But again, I had a different need for resources, but it really demanded a lot of uh, persistence, uh, tenacity, and positive attitude. Mm. I think when you're fixed in on whatever it takes, uh, it's a really, it's a positive affirmation for the process. Uh, and you have to be creative in how you navigate that. Uh, and you you find ways to get things done rather than the way to not get them done. So I have mm-hmm. very little patience for the eors and the naysayers of the world. Uh, you know, I, I think a lot can be achieved just with a, a positive mindset, uh, but a willingness to do whatever it takes. And and that's not to be misconstrued as stepping on people and kicking people a curb. Not, not, none of that. That's always uh, a degree of civility and courtesy that comes along with that. But at the same time, uh, a doggedness. You're just not going to give up. It's, uh, mm. you know, you're, you're, you're locked in. Uh, and I once heard it said by a, a colleague of mine uh, as, being, as uh, willingness to have the courage to be narrow. Uh, and I thought about that, whether it was in practice or in teaching, just to focus and have a fidelity to uh, your craft and your thought and then developing that. Mm. Uh, and And I think that's uh, that's all falls under you know whatever it takes. And again, I don't know. i I, I learned it. you know you, you when I was in sales school, it's uh, a Bible salesman. Uh, one of the one of the motivational speakers they had. Was he asked the question, says, how many of you want to be a winner? And, uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, uh, yeah, well, you know. OK, sure, he mm-hmm. goes, you know what it takes to be a winner. And, I, I, and uh, I was like, no. And he goes, you hang out with winners, you know. You don't mm-hmm. hang out with losers. And mm-hmm. I thought about that, and I thought about my life at the time. It was around a lot of negativity and negative folks. And I remember what inspired me, you know, folks like, you know, uh, that had achieved excellence. You know, to think of Muhammad Ali, you know, it was a big inspiration in my life, just what he overcame and his what he was able to do, or, uh, you know, just people doing the unthinkable. You know, right. uh, like Evil Knievel at the time back <laughs> after I'm dating myself. But we were like, that's nuts. But, you know, uh, it's just whatever it takes, man. I'm going to jump this can, you know. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> right. You know, so, I, you know, I, I, I uh, there's just a host of uh, situations like that where you didn't give up. And in the end, you were able to navigate it. And it takes up doggedness and a resilience to do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but that's how you build resilience. People, how do you become resilient? Well, you be resilient. You know, you you have to, you know, weather the storm, so to speak. So.
0: Well, and I love what you said there um, about courage to be narrow. Um, because I, I think embedded within whatever it takes is, it's not, as you say, it's not a, um, a kind of... Uh, no you know there's no limit to what your your kind of focus is on is it's really more about having the the kind of courage and determination to do uh whatever it takes to do what what uh, whatever task is in front of you whatever thing is in front of you um and i read this quote by hillary mantle which i I shared with you that i thought was really interesting that connects to that a little bit that it says uh the question is not who influences you but which people give you courage and you talked a little bit about uh, the role of your father and, of course, the being a viable salesman for five summers. I mean, do you feel like it was a person or an experience that kind of helped you understand the courage and determination that was necessary? Yeah, I think it was lived
1: experience, uh, yeah. quite honestly. Being in a, a series of situations where I guess I could have given up even when I was knocked down. And I try to figure out how do, how do I put the positive spin on this and go on? You know, they. I used to hear the word, you know, when you're told no, you put the O in front of the N and you go on, you know. So, mm. you know, and so I've always tried to be the guy that, you know, if I'm faced with a pile of horseshit, you know, <laughs> I, I'm the guy who's going to dive in there to see if there's a pony inside. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, there's, you know, I want to I want to take it head on and uh, but uh, and I, very often not always uh, there are good outcomes because of that, but it takes time. I mean, it's often not immediate. It's a like I say, that's why I call it a dogged pursuit. It's a it's a process. It's a journey uh, in that regard, but uh, it demands a lot of uh, a lot of focus on, you know, what what's the ultimate goal, right? Yeah, so, in the in the context of architecture, it's for me, anyways, it's seeing a, a vision uh, manifested, realized, become tangible. Something that's intangible that becomes tangible, and trying to keep everyone focused on your team, as well as the folks that are building it, the folks that are who are who are needing it, mm. and 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 often funding it. Keeping everybody focused. Having the courage to uh, do the right thing by that vision,
0: hmm. and do do you feel like Marlon that there's there's definitely a mindset that is necessary for whatever it takes. You you talked about uh, this kind of relentless pursuit of doing the right thing and making sure that um, the best, most well crafted solution is is in in terms of architecture is is the result. And I, I just wondered. If what what the mindset is, because it seems like sometimes whatever it takes could become exhausting. You know what I mean? It could become problematic. It could become sure. uh it could cause a lot of imbalance or it maybe, you know, takes oh, yeah. away from other things. Mm-hmm. I just wonder how what your mindset is to kind of maybe not create yeah. balance, that's not the right word, but but how how you how you approach whatever it takes as as a kind of frame of mind. Sure. Yeah, you, I, used to have,
1: I still do have people ask me all the time, how do you, how do you balance that, you know, the, the teaching and the practice? And it's just amazing how you, and you've got family. And like, how do you balance all that? And I said, what balance? There's no balance, man. It's like, <laughs> it's completely, you know, you're like a juggler on acid or something, you know, running around trying <laughs> to keep all the balls in the air. It's crazy sometimes. Uh, nuts, even. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, the, the mindset is, is to understand, to, you know, to kind of visualize what the ultimate goal is. Like to me, uh, I, uh, I also, you know, believe in working hard and, and playing hard. So it isn't just work, work, work all the time. Mm-hmm. It's weaving in, uh, you know, the, the great quality time with the family. Uh, it's, it's great when you can find a, a feedback loop between what you're teaching and what you're practicing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and so that sort of becomes more indivisible. Uh, so, so it doesn't feel like I'm doing, even though on paper I'm doing two different things, but it feels like it's all part of one thing. It's all part of a kind of meta project uh, that uh, I'm working on here uh, and how they inform each other. And uh, I think that helps a lot. But I, I, think the, I, I think there's have to be a lot of give and take. I mean, I think the thing I've learned from being a sole proprietor to now a firm of about 26, 27 is to to empower, uh, to get people on board with this, mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, you know, you, you still enjoy and have fun in what you're doing. Uh, and I don't – fun is probably not – but it's – uh, another better way to call it maybe it's hard loving work.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: there's a, there's a lot of love of what we do and, uh, and just the whole, and, and, and falling in love with the process, not just the product. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the other aspect of it. It, uh, the process can be intense, but it doesn't have to be miserable. Uh, and that just comes again with your, your, uh, Willingness to go along with the ebb and flow of the of the process. It's 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 not like uh, a lot of people. Oh, it's it comes off like you've got your foot on the pedal at 100 miles an hour all the time. Uh, the only way that works is in a drag race. Right? <laughs> but if you got to take curves and bends and hills and valleys, you got to know when to press the gas and when to let off the gas a little bit. Yeah. And that's uh, that. My dad was a race car driver uh, as well oh. as a being in the military for 30 years and you know he would talk about that you know and that wasn't so difficult to go down the straight it's sort of difficult taking the curves right as a right. driver, race driver a lot more skill than that so that's why i don't i don't i think people see it in a maybe often too narrowly when you talk mm. about whatever it takes you know it's just like uh you're some kind of you know crazed uh maniac or something i I don't think that's it i just think it's a it's a doggedness yeah keep saying that word but it's just i'm on the trail i'm not gonna lose the scent i know where you know i'm gonna follow this where it leads but i'm not losing i'm not getting off the trail that's
0: right that's right and i love that um well it's not really a metaphor but the the experience of your dad as a a race car driver because that because i think if you extend the metaphor, it's it's really about when to downshift and when to kind yeah. of uh, yeah. really, you know, pedal to the metal as you say. Um, because I can imagine, i mean, I, I I find this in my own life that I think when you have a, a kind of relentless drive and passion for what you do, um it's really hard to find times to pause and reset. Um, yeah. and I know I know you do this in a very deliberate way. Uh, with the company you keep, and with the kind of um, separation you may create with with time away, and I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that that's been productive for you in the longer sure. path uh, discussion right. you were just mentioning. Sure.
1: Well, first, I I should add to and you know, part of my ability to kind of focus has been my partner uh, in the firm and partner in life, I T, mm-hmm. uh, who is. Equally passionate about what we do,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and incredibly understanding. Otherwise, I uh, most normal folks would have kicked me to the curb a while ago. Uh, <laughs> and she's been uh, incredibly, you know, forgiving and understanding, but also encouraging uh, mm-hmm. as well. And and you need to have really strong relationships around you. Mm-hmm. I think, for your longevity uh, in this profession and I think your longevity in life, right? Mm, More so mm-hmm. than anything, to have strong relationships, both familial, but also in terms of your friends and your colleagues uh, as well. Uh, I, those are things I really, really value. Um, and so, you know, as a family, to relax and things, we would travel became a big part of our lives. I T is from Malaysia, so international travel was a big part uh, of our lives for a, a long time, especially with our children. Um, and that's the way we would kind of hoof downshift, you know, and and go for go for a trip and discover new things, new cultures. Mm-hmm. Uh, to in effect work on developing empathy, uh, and then the same thing with colleagues and friends. It's you know going on trips together uh, or. Disconnecting, conferences and things of that nature, just to kind of. Sometimes you don't even go to the conference. (laughs) You know, you're just (laughs) there to reconnect with people you really admire and respect and have a connection with. Uh, And it's not a you know, it's about uh, it's people with the right and similar mindset, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Who have the enthusiasm and and the drive as well. Uh, But uh, also understand that it's important to uh downshift as well. That's what they're there doing. So uh I think it's it's these relationships, strong bonds and relationships that you have to develop that help you understand, you know, what's really important, but also uh helps keep you moving forward, right? Uh so it's never a straight line, right? It's always an inflected line, but it's always moving forward.
0: That's right. right. That's right. Absolutely. um you know i i I love that because i I think it i I think there's a perception when you become extremely successful that you never you do whatever it takes and you never downshift. And I think your drag race analogy is exactly right. Like you feel like you're gonna work at this incredible clip and never reset. Um, but i I have been thinking a lot about um, you know when you when you talked about whatever it takes, it feels like that is a that is a very kind of driven and kind of dogged, as you would say, um, approach to 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 life, and and often what I found is that those people who are incredibly driven are often overachievers. They 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 do okay. uh, more and more and more because they they just feel so strongly and they care so much. But I think what I've I also heard recently is that when we overachieve, we allow others to underachieve. And I, and I'm curious Mm -hmm. what, what your thoughts are on that, because you work in big teams often, um, professionally, and you're running a 26, 27 person studio. Uh, and I'm I'm just wondering how you, how you help, uh, people with the buy-in. You talked a little bit earlier about, you know, creating a, a similar kind of relationship with the process. Sure, sure.
1: Well, um. Part, part of it, I guess, is understanding and helping yeah. others understand what the framework is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so again, what the goal is, but what is the framework and then allowing people to move within that framework so that they can contribute in, a, in an authentic way. Uh, obviously, you're reviewing, you're giving feedback, but you're also getting feedback, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just something I had to learn sh- again in this transition. Of from doing everything uh, to even running the prints and you know crushing the coffee beans kind of deal uh, to delegating and to you know being part of a larger team, learning how to collaborate, but mm-hmm. also learning how to cooperate when things don't don't go well. Uh, and so I try to instill a real sense of uh, teamwork. Uh, I think is important. Obviously, I'm I'm going to have a pretty strong voice in that, as well as IT. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if, I always like to say to folks, man, don't be afraid to offer ideas. Put ideas on the table. That's right. how More more ideas come. The more ideas you put on the table, more ideas will take their place and come. Uh, and if it's not used, uh, don't take it hard or personal. Uh, we'll use it for another project. But if it's a good idea, I don't care where they come from. We're going to use sure. it. Uh, <laughs> right. And, so there's a kind of entrepreneurial aspect to that mm. uh, and that we try to do some folks that, you know, put something out there. And uh, I find that the projects get better because I've, as I've learned, the more and more I'm at this, you know, I can't think of everything. I need that, that stimulation, not just internal stimulation, but external stimulation from being part of a team and and the products, obviously, the complexity of projects today Mm -hmm. uh, are are such that you really have to do that in order to to develop, uh, uh, I'd say, the depth and substance in the work, right? It can't Mm. just be a gesture, a diagram, and then it gets built. Uh, Then, you know, because I think that's really what contributes to the relative impoverishment of the built environment. that kind of attitude. I think it, you, if you've got to build depth and substance, you know, you really, it comes from understanding the complexity and really getting everybody on board and involved and nothing gets left to chance. Mm. And uh, boy, if you develop that mindset, it's amazing what people, how they, how they infill all of this to make this a more and more robust uh, design, a more robust project. Uh, I, I'm always amazed by that, and it's not just, again, in the office, but it's our consultants, right, and the engineers we work with, and uh, it's it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, so well, and and I, I just try to get people on board for that, and you sort of, you try to empower them as best you can.
0: Well, and I think that's, even now more than ever, what a great design leader, or any leader, for that matter, does, is they create a framework, and then they enable and encourage folks to step into and be a part of that cause. Um, because I, I really like what you said there about, you know, ideas coming from anywhere. I think especially in creative professions, it feels like there's the person whose name's on the door, that's where the idea comes from always. And maybe it, it does a lot of times. Um yeah. but, but that that's not to say that we don't we don't take ideas from anywhere and we don't um, you know, we yeah. we're we're trying to find the best solution we possibly can for the depth and the substance you talked about. Um I, I really liked what you said also about uh, the kind of stimulation that you need uh, when you're on teams where ideas are kind of moving openly and freely and you can kind of build off of ideas. Hey, that's interesting. What'd you say? Oh, maybe it's this. Oh, it's not that. Oh, what if we did it this way? Oh, yeah, that's good. Let's do that. Um, you know, that kind of, com- you know, collaborative, communicative right. way of sharing. And I'm wondering, is is that where you draw inspiration from or is there something uh, kind of outside the office that you do consistently that really helps you refuel and and find more and more inspiration for the ways in which you're creative
1: uh I think a lot of it for me comes from uh nature just being uh in nature whether i'm in the car you know Mm -hmm. moving forward looking sideways uh or actually on a trail or out fishing or you know whatever and i and i'm not i'm not a jeremiah johnson believe i'm you know out (laughs) camping every weekend but i'm just saying being uh, attentive to my surroundings Mm -hmm. um but it's also culture you know just i don't know i just have an eye that looks for uh what's not always seen by others, and mm. uh, uh, looking for those, that sort of underbelly uh, moment. I'm, I, you know, I really look for experiences. Uh, mm. I don't know what it'll trigger, but, uh, you know, I just had an experience last weekend. I was in Clarksdale, Mississippi with my son, and uh, our visiting professor at Arkansas, uh, Jeremy Smith from Irving Smith and uh, Nelson, New Zealand, I think New Zealand's greatest architect. Mm. And he'd never been to Mississippi. So we went to Mississippi and we we arrived in Clarksdale at 11 and immediately went to a, a blues club. He'd never seen blues live. I then took him to a juke joint, which is a much, much smaller version and very intimate. There are just five of us listening to some of the most incredible, you know music and then from there we went to somebody's private recording studio to eat black beans and rice at 12 midnight and listen to a jam session you know so wow. in the span of three hours uh it was nearly in tears you know of this incredible uh music and the atmosphere and uh i don't know where that'll lead but mm. I know that it is something that very few people experience, and it's in that underbelly. It's what's not seen, mm. and uh, you know, like you said, he's still talking about. It. But uh, I, I like to search those things out, you know. Then, then we drove from there to see a uh, Butch Anthony, the outsider artist in Alabama, and his museum of wonder. Uh, you know, lives on a farm and. This crazy art. He makes bone quilts, and uh, has a bone yard, and then he makes quilts from the bones, and wow. you know, just just kinds of things that our culture will offer up. And yet, in between that, you're driving through the Mississippi Delta, which is the flattest place. I mean, if your dog ran away there, three days later you could still see it. I mean, it's just <laughs> flat. And and then and then seeing the terrain change to the hills of uh Alabama stuff you know and it's just in the deer I mean it's just it's amazing right so we're just mixing all that kind of interface between culture and nature Mm. and and looking for the patterns that may connect there that's the inspiration for me Mm. I get really inspired by that Uh, yeah and I see a lot of a lot of a lot of highway architecture and that that's informative for me as much as any great museum I go to so it's 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 an inclusive way of looking at the world, not looking for the negatives, but looking for the positives and everything, mm. uh, and and not just trying to value out uh, only what is seen as respectable and good. Uh, I think to really understand our place, we have to factor in the not so good, mm. the the ugly part of a place, the ugly part of its history has to become part of what we're attentive to.
0: Well, and I, so I think, that's the source of inspiration. I love it. I love it. And I, I think, Marlon, your work has always found a kind of underbelly of potential in the place or in a material or in the program. Um, so I, I really see that manifesting itself. that makes a lot of sense in terms of the the inspiration. um i had I had one last question for you. Um, and this is a little bit more pragmatic, and I often like to do this for people who may be, uh looking for a more practical way that that your your lesson whatever it takes might might kind of manifest itself in their lives um and i've been thinking about the the commitment that whatever it takes implies we've talked a little bit about that and how it uh oscillates between family and firm in your case um but i also see and i'm sure you see this too a younger generation where I think we've always compared ourselves to others. I think that's been a kind of part of our uh, journey, especially in design forever. But there still seems to be a, a grass is greener mentality, with especially with younger people, that has caused a lot of movement, uh, especially when it becomes comes to work. And pe- perhaps people aren't as loyal or aren't as, maybe as dedicated to a place or dedicated for a a kind of significant amount of time where you can learn uh, really meaningful lessons. And I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that kind of prevailing generation, maybe that is not willing to do uh, whatever it takes. Sure.
1: Well, I would say then that's an acceptance. That's a kind of defeatist attitude. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then you're not willing to be successful. I mean, I, I think to you know fully achieve excellence in in any form. It, it takes passion, of course, and it does take hard work. and i I think I think uh, I have a lot of young folk in my office, and I think there is that passion, mm. and there is that dedication to willingness to do the hard work. But uh, I think what's not a factor as much in there is also to have patience.. Mm. Uh, and maybe that's just a product of youth, right? you're impatience, you want it all now. but it seems to have exponentially <laughs> grown this impatience with the now. And uh, that is a that's difficult because there has to be patience in order to hone uh, hone your skill, hone your your craft, right, or to learn a craft. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know Malcolm Gladwell talks about you know those uh, how many hours it takes to master something or whatever I can't remember it's in Tipping Point or some yeah, book yeah. but I remember it's like ten thousand hours. Right. Well, it's gonna it's more than that. Trust me. And uh, you have to exceed that. And there takes patience. And there's uh, that's something you've I had to learn. I had to kind of back off and just learn. I just need to be patient mm-hmm. uh, and with this and and patient with the process and. Uh, It wasn't just about getting the building done. It was about letting the landscape catch up with it, you know, Mm. and letting people actually live in it a little bit. And then you can talk about how that is uh, documented and things of that nature. So I I think it's patient. I I think I learned that some ways from uh, uh, a friend and mentor of of mine, uh, Chris Risher, uh, who was a, a well-known architect in Mississippi, but also taught quite a bit at uh, at Harvard. Uh, GSD in the 90s, a very kind of mythical figure. Um, and I had actually resigned at the University of Arkansas. There was some political bullshit was going on, and he had heard about it. He was visiting, and I saw him. He was out smoking a cigarette one, one afternoon as I was going on my way to the studio, and I walked by and said, hey, Chris, and he grabbed me by the arm and spun me around. He says, uh, I hear you're Think about leaving. He goes, well, I said, yeah, I didn't, I didn't really sign up for this. And he goes, you know, man, he said, based on what I know about you, you've been running all your life. I said, you just keep moving. And he said, you know, that's what's wrong with architecture today. I said, everybody just keeps moving. And I said, what comes out of that is architecture. That's about the move. Architecture mm-hmm. you want to go into and you want to move around and you move through it and you never come back. You know, just move, move, move. I said, What you ought to be dedicated to is architecture of a stay, architecture that makes you want to linger and stay in it. And he said, the only architects I know that can do those, that is those that stay in one place and set down roots uh, and become part of the place. And he said, you've never done that. And this is your opportunity. You should think about that. I never had anybody talk to me like that. Especially wow. somebody who I really admired and expect who'd give me enough time a day to even say, you know, this is what you need to think about. And that was I was only at the time the two years in at Arkansas, and I thought about that, and I thought, you know, he's right. I mean, I thought about Fay, I thought about Wright, I thought about all of these other architects, and they might have had a move in them, but that was it. Uh and when I look went look back at it. And uh I was like, yeah, he's got a great point. And I, I went back uh about 10 years ago that they have this program I'm sure you know about in at the New York League of the called Emerging Voices. Yes. They had a book come out, 30 Years of Emerging Voices. And I went through it and I just sort of flipped through it and looked at it. And all of those emerging voices. You know how many are not in their place? One or two. Wow. They're still there. That should be a lesson to the youth right now is that if you really are serious about what you're doing and you want to you want to make it, then you're going to have to find a place and stay mm. uh, and really, really let that feed into your your architecture in a way. And that doesn't uh, say you can't move around initially maybe just part of being a sponge for the first five years but if you're just going to keep jumping around I don't see how anything ever sticks to you you know mm. so yeah anyways patience with the passion and the perspiration
0: yeah absolutely yeah Marlon that is that is so so good uh I had a friend of mine um named Ian Good who who said movement does not equal progress and I really yes, that's I a really... nice
1: that's a more concise way to say it <laughs> Yes.
0: Because he's because he said, you know, movement is a rocking chair. You know, you're you're moving, yeah. but you're not going you're not going anywhere. Um and I, I really that that's kind of stuck with me. That was my Chris uh Rish richer.
1: R R I R I S C H E R. S H E R. Yeah, he just died about uh, six or seven years ago. And uh, was just an amazing uh, teacher and practitioner who did never allowed his work to be published. Uh, would did not want to be part of the media deal, wow. but wrote beautifully. And anyways, I don't go all into that, but the the point being, it's just that that was a, a lesson I'll I'll never forget. And I when I think about the architects, I really admire. Mm. Uh, they've found their place and they stayed there. And you know, they might work from there. Doesn't mean they build only in their place, but they they have a home. And I, I think that's I think it's really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Maron, this has been uh, really, really wonderful, and uh, I cannot thank you enough for for sharing all the the wise words and and wisdom. And uh, thank you for your time, and and thank you for sharing your lesson with us.
1: But thank you, Ryan. Thank you for having me.
0: Okay, I'll talk Bye-bye. soon. Take care. Okay. Cheers. We are all searching, seeking, and striving to be better parents or siblings or spouses or friends. But sometimes we lose our way. We find setback after setback and begin to lose hope. And this is when I met Marlon, a moment during the recession when I was between jobs calling hundreds of offices to find work. This is when he said a good word or two can push us one way or another. That was the cold call that I mentioned that changed the trajectory of my career in so many ways. Because Marlon called me back. Then he helped me find work. Then he helped me revise my portfolio and wrote letters for grad school. And then he advised and mentored me ever since. All because of a cold call that he never had any obligation to return. We all have people in our lives who have shared with us or invested in us because they saw something they saw themselves years before. And that perhaps for me is the biggest takeaway from today to do whatever it takes to reach out and reach back to seek wisdom from your heroes and to provide wisdom to those who seek it from us first to, to reach out. This is really a call to write your heroes. What do I mean by that? Um, If you read a great book, tell the author. If you listen to a wonderful speech or see a great post, message them. Uh, Tell them how much you appreciate their work or their approach to parenting or work or or just life in general and see what happens. Secondly is to reach back. And that's just a reminder for us not to forget that those are reaching, those are, uh, there are people <laughs> who are reaching out to us too. And believe it or not, it's, it's when you come to a certain age where younger folks will need our counsel, they'll need our guidance and our wisdom. And hopefully we can all be like Marlon and find the time to call people back to see how we can help because you never know. There may be another person willing to do whatever it takes and I cannot think of a more inspiring way to live than to encourage and be encouraged it's a it's just a beautiful way in which lessons inspire and shape us whether we are the mentor or being mentored so I hope you have enjoyed this conversation today I hope it's helping you through your own journey and I hope you'll continue to share this with your family and friends because we are so grateful Uh, for all the guests on this podcast and we're of course grateful for for the audience you all who make time to listen we will be back next week for our final episode of the season Uh, very excited for this final guest Um, but it will undoubtedly be another episode full of meaning waiting to be applied we will see you then this is the everything is lessons podcast